0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and my co-host, academic advisor, Ross Ferguson. I feel like I should say at Midwestern Seminary. At Midwestern Seminary. You're not just a general, you don't just walk up and down the street going, if anyone needs some (laughs) advising academically, I'm available. You don't set up a little booth like Lucy Van Pelt. (laughs) Five cents for academic advising, although you could do that.
1: Uh, I couldn't on the current visa I'm on. But. <laughs> get some spare money for the tuck shop. The tuck
0: shop, hey, good cultural engagement. I don't know if listeners will remember that. That was maybe a month ago that you You should the tuck remember it. That was good stuff. The <laughs> tuck shop, the snack bar. Tuck yeah, shop. five cents for academic advising. You save up a little bit of money. You can go get yourself some pixie sticks or something like that. <laughs> what was the candy that childhood Ross... Was there a particular, whether it's a Scottish thing or not. Um, so so I liked anything sherbet. So
1: I think oh. you guys, I don't know if you call it sherbet here. Like just like like, the ice cream kind of stuff? The see, cold? no. Okay, so then no, so we don't have sherbet. So sherbet is like a really tangy sugar that you get multicolored and it's in like a long tube. And uh, so it's like a really... It's, gray, it's granular. It's like it's, sugar. It's, it's like sugar. Yeah. And you open the one end of the tube. You, you it's like, like pixie sticks is yeah, what we call it. Yeah, yeah. So you dump it in your mouth and like... Sherbet. Yeah. So we call it sherbet. Okay. So I used to love those. They were 50 pence, so... <laughs> <laughs> About uh, okay. six sixty-five cents. Okay. So I really like those. Uh, but I'll make a confession to you. So I so I've never drank alcohol, never smoked any cigarettes. Uh, we won't go into the theology. It's it's more of a family history thing. But I used to really like those candies that were fake cigarettes the candy cigarettes yeah, yeah and I,
0: <laughs> you can blow on them in little like powder i was like so sugar i thought i was out, so like,
1: so cool uh, when i had those <laughs> um and, and i was just being an absolute idiot but yeah. uh, you know i really like those and um, but my my all-time favorite that has been since since a child right to this day is chocolate covered raisins
0: oh interesting yeah okay
1: all-time favorite
0: all-time favorite all-time favorite wow Yep. So we like, this is similar. We also did the, the candy cigarettes when I was a little kid, but more common was Big League Chew. Have you ever seen Big League Chew? No. So it's this pouch, and it's, it's basically bubble gum, but okay. it's shredded. Shreds within a pouch, and it's meant to mimic how baseball players oh, are chewing tobacco. Oh, chewing tobacco. tobacco, okay. So it's the, the kid's version of chewing tobacco. And in fact— The drawing on the front is basically a baseball player with a big thing in his— So if you're a little kid, you can get this bubble gum— and you put it down and you've you got the chaw and it's basically the shredded bubblegum big league chew. You know, as we're talking about these things, I'm, I've just realized...
1: what. <laughs> What candy companies do? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, they're probably just, owned by big tobacco. It's just dawned on me, <laughs> you know, what they do. But we used to have a corner shop. Um, so, so this is again a cultural engagement yeah. um, in the UK. Quite a lot of corner shops um, are run by Pakistanis that tend to come and and um, to the UK, and that that would be the fairly common thing. And it was interesting, just where I grew up. There was a, a guy on the corner at a corner shop. Can't even remember what it was called now. But but it was a Pakistani family that ran it and, and you got to know them like because their whole family would always be in the store and you know, pop in daily and you see them. So you became quite close to them and yeah. you know, they knew you. But this one particular corner shop, every single time things were out of date. And it'd be just like, uh, we're selling these off at like 10 pence when they're normally a pound or 10 cents or a dollar. Um, They're slightly out of date and it's like two years out of date. (laughs) I used to love the gauntlet of buying those things. Of like... Will I get sick? Will I not? Let's <laughs> see. Uh, so I was slightly, you know, crazy yeah. as a child. But I, I used to love buying candy. that was one cheap, uh, and
0: two, there yeah. was a slight danger. <laughs> a slight danger. Did you ever find like the golden ticket? In any of this never, one? never. Go back home. Ticket. Your grandparents are in the in the bed and in the middle uh, of the room and be no, like, oh, I didn't get that. Grandpa Willie, like, okay. No. Hey, it's a mailbag episode. It certainly is. Let's work through some <laughs> questions here. Listener submitted questions. There was a a great number actually on all. Th- I post in three different venues, two different Facebook pages, and then on Twitter, and I had a man, I had to really narrow it down this time around. There was a big number of student ministry questions, mm-hmm. which we tried to kind of work into our student ministry pet peeves episode from a few episodes back. So if you're interested in kind of the student ministry conversations and you didn't listen to that episode, you should go back and check that out. Uh, but some good ministry stuff, some kind of uh, leadership type stuff. Uh, we're going to start with Cal. On Facebook, he wants to know how do you guide people back to Scripture when their claimed experience would seem to differ from what we find in Scripture? What does that kind of loving correction look like in the church, and in particular in our argumentatively, argumentatively, I think I'm reading that right, supercharged culture? So if I could distill the questions, basically somebody's saying, My experience is all I need, I feel this way, or this is how I want to live, or he doesn't give a specific example, but I'm thinking maybe somebody's shocking up with their boyfriend or girlfriend or something, and who cares what the Bible says, this this is what real love is, or I feel loved, or something like that. Uh, Or maybe it's, you know, not a relational thing, but in any event, how do you guide people back to Scripture when their claimed experience would seem to differ from what we find in Scripture? Yeah,
1: I want to pick up on the 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 phrasing here of loving correction. Mm. Uh, and you're right, we want to correct those things. But I wouldn't have a mindset of correction. Uh, I would start okay. with a conversation. Because if you're going into a conversation going, I'm, I'm seeking to lovingly correct you. Um, actually, you're probably not going to find someone ready for that type of conversation. But, but I just thought, have a conversation. Talk about what is happening, what has happened. Uh, find out how it's making them feel gather information because actually what you might find is they have no idea what scripture actually does teach on this situation or that they've been taught incorrectly or that they've had a words of wisdom from somebody that actually is just a pile of nonsense. Like your, your thought of correction shouldn't be they're getting it wrong. It could be that someone else got it wrong and they're following suit. So I would say in your kind of thought process of correcting them, just, just be gentle first and have a conversation. Then you need to move on to the correction. But the correction might not be a chastisement. It might actually be correcting a lack of knowledge, so bringing that knowledge. Okay. Um, so uh, correction, just, just be careful with that, that thought process.
0: Yeah, you can't always assume, but I, I'm sort of assuming the context here is in the local church. So there's perhaps the pretense of, someone who would claim to believe in the bible mm-hmm. maybe they are ignorant of what the bible teaches in this area or in that area and that would mean that you would be a little more gentle than you, you would otherwise in addressing the issue but if you're looking at someone who's like a member of your church or yeah. in your church community and ostensibly we've all agreed these are the rules these are the standards yeah. and it's a potential church discipline situation I don't know how you do it without a kind of correction to say, yeah. hey, we all agreed here. And you're living in such a way that, that indicates you don't agree, at least with yeah. your own lifestyle. You agree on paper, but not in real life. And you have to bring them to the Bible yeah. and say, this is what the Bible says about it. Do you agree or disagree? I think yeah. you can ask questions. You can yeah. ask clarifying things. You, you want to pastor the moment. You don't want to just bring the hammer yeah. down. But I, I don't know that you could avoid a sense of correction in some regard if you're trying yeah. to point them to the Bible. Th- the question is kind of confusing to me. How do you guide people back to Scripture? Well, you show them Scripture. I, I was man. about to say, uh,
1: two <laughs> Timothy three yeah. sixteen. You know, uh, this is the danger when you think something's coming wrong. You give your opinion. Don't give your opinion don't give your commentary go straight to scripture we're told that scripture is there for rebuking for correction for encouragement for admonishing 2 timothy three sixteen, we forget about 17 that the man of god may be completely equipped for every good work like to be completely equipped to be able to approach each situation in life it is not your opinion that's going to change that it is scripture yeah so if if you're seeing a situation like don't just pull out one verse show how you know through the old testament we're seeing a pattern through the new testament we're seeing a pattern how these verses these situations and almost kind of overboard with scripture because that's the thing that corrects and i think that's where i'm picking up the loving correction well let scripture do the correction right but your voice i'm thinking proverbs 15:1 a soft answer turns away wrath it's the be gentle as you approach the situation, and let
0: Scripture do the correcting. I think that's, that's really right. So you're, you're trying to position the conversation in such a way that if they're going to argue, he talks about the argumentatively supercharged, if they're arguing, they have to be arguing with Scripture. Exactly, yep. Not just with not, you. Not you. This isn't just our. we're kind of sparring with our opinions. Mm. I'm not just telling you how what you do makes me feel or yeah. how I think it's bad. Um, I'm actually showing you in the Word of God. And if you argue with that, you're effectively arguing with the Word of God. Mm. Now, of course, this can have major ramifications if, again, if it's somebody in your church, a member of your church. We have a mutual friend who has uh, pastored before, and he was telling me a story about a fellow uh, in his church who, when he opened up the Bible once, this pastor friend of ours, when he opened up the Bible once to refer to something, the fellow hit the Bible out of his hand and said, I'm sick of this. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I paused and I was like, wait, he's sick of what? And yeah. he said, hearing from the Bible. Yeah. And I said, this was a member of the church? And he said, yeah. yeah. This was a guy who was just, he was sick of being told that what he was doing and saying was in opposition to the scriptures. And he was basically like, I don't care what the Bible says. Essentially yeah. was what he's saying. I'm sick of this. And he hits the Bible out of his hands. Well, now you know, like, okay, he's arguing with God's word. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some clear you know, lines of of, uh, recourse here that we have when a church member decides that their opinion, Mm. their argument, so to speak, is more important or supersedes Scripture. Can I just pull one little more thing out of here
1: is um, this comment, their claimed experience. Yeah. So let's just go from, I've heard that phrasing before, in terms of the spirit being involved. um, So claimed experience of healing, claimed experience of these things. So that might be what this is about. And and I would say the answer is still gonna be exactly the same, that claimed experience means an opinion of what has happened. We'll we'll go back to scripture. Don't don't deny that they've had an experience because that in itself is antagonistic. They have had an experience in some form of way but they're maybe trying to figure out how to interpret that, and that's the claimed element of they're not quite sure about it. It's always going to be scripture, and and I think if you are, are a good servant of God, good pastor, good good leader, that's what you're going to. You know, don't don't listen to my words here. See what God is saying. Yeah, you can hate upon me if you want, but but this is what scripture's saying.
0: And it could be a good time or a good opportunity to actually teach someone how to read their Bible. Maybe yeah. they're you know they only have a cursory sort of understanding of biblical interpretation or, or how to apply the scriptures well. I remember, I think this is in The Gagging of God, Don Carson telling a story about, in essence, it wasn't an argument in the sense of it was heated or fighting, but he was, I think, in a car with a fellow who was making a particular claim about a particular passage of scripture, with, which Carson knew was not an accurate interpretation. And so he kind of pushed back to say, well, I think, you know, it says this, or it means this, and the fellow Push back and they were in sort of this back and forth. And the fellow essentially pulled out a trump card, which was that the Holy Spirit told me yeah. that this is the right <laughs> yeah. reading, told yeah. me. And Carson was like, well, what can you say to that? The yeah. Holy Spirit has told him. And, and so he paused for a moment and then he said, well, what would you say if I said to you the Holy Spirit told me that it means this, yeah. the other, you know, the yeah. other thing? And he said the fellow paused for a moment and then said, well, I, I guess that would mean the, that the Bible means different things to different people. Yeah. So you have people with really different, when yeah. you have the claimed experience, yeah. it could be an opportunity to help somebody say, yeah, there may be multiple applications, but the Bible doesn't mean different things to, you know, no. to different people. It means a particular thing. And we have tools at our disposal. If you're pastoring somebody in particular, helping, it's, this is an opportunity for discipleship. Mm. Your claimed experience about what a Bible passage means or what, how to interpret the Scripture isn't the ultimate exegetical tool. Yeah. Your feelings or your impressions or, you know, whatever it is, isn't the guiding principle uh, for studying the scriptures. It could be an opportunity to help somebody know their Bible better, perhaps. Okay, Phil on Twitter wants to know, how might churches handle the pain when a beloved pastor leaves? This is a great question. I hear a heart behind this question. Um, I don't know. I've known Phil a long time online. Never met him in person, but for maybe almost 20 years, actually, I've known Phil online. I don't know if, his, if a beloved pastor has left. I'm assuming this, however, comes from some kind of personal experience. It doesn't seem like a question just pulled out of thin air. Yeah, But I love the heart behind it. Essentially, you just use the phrase beloved. We yeah. love our pastor. He's, he's beloved, and he's moved on. There's no indication that this is leaving for any kind of hmm. disqualifying reasons or anything like that, but he's either moved on or he's retiring perhaps. How do you handle the pain when that happens? Yeah, two emotions immediately came to my mind is, one,
1: do praise God for his ministry. For sure. You actually had an opportunity to be pastored by him. Praise God for that and what he's done through that individual. I think sometimes we often are, are nervous to, to do that because we might puff the person up. No, 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 just praise God. The fact that, that, yeah. that they served your church, served you well. And I'm not saying do that for a season. I'm saying just praise God for that. But then the second emotion comes, which is which is sadness, and I think I think it's okay to feel sad. I think it's okay to mourn. I think you can both be praising God for what you've had in that pastor and also mourning that you now don't have that. Yeah. I think that there are okay emotions to to be mournful. And when I say mournful, I'm not meaning that that you think that the church is going to be a disaster, that you're never going to have another pastor like this. I mean in just going praise god we had that and i'm going to really miss him and because that's the beloved element it's the, it's saying actually he was he was more than a pastor he, he was a brother in christ and and i'm going to miss having these conversations i think i think those are really okay things to think about so i guess embracing those emotions giving yourself time don't feeling like you have to go pastor search committee let's go yeah. you know I, take some moments you know and and just feel those emotions
0: yeah to be thankful um as you said, because for some folks, this is actually a rare experience to (laughs) to have, I mean, that pastor they like, I suppose, pastor's leaving on good terms, Mm. pastor who has served you faithfully, rather than stewing in the hurt or stewing in the, you know, the grief of the loss, can you, in a sense, stew in thankfulness? Man, what, what a great blessing we actually had in the time that we had with him. I can tell you a few things not to do, how not to handle the pain, <laughs> yeah. um, having left, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of churches. Were um, you beloved? I, yeah. Well, people said that I was. Okay. Um, I discovered that I wasn't by some when <laughs> yeah. I left. Yeah. This was a really weird thing because uh, in particular, you know, leaving one particular church at a time when things were going really well. And mm. it wasn't for any nefarious, disqualifying yeah. reason. It was moving on to another ministry while the church was growing, and yeah. which is not when you're supposed to leave. Yep. You don't leave when the thing's going well. You leave when after you blow the thing up. I, yep. And so I thought I was leaving on good terms. I, be- I believed that I was beloved. I felt in some ways beloved mm. by most people and discovered that this made people angry. Mm. You know? So I can tell you, don't unfriend them on Facebook. Yep. Uh, that's just weird. Yep. Um, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't be a weird thing. But I just thought, oh, I'm not your pastor anymore. Therefore, I can't be your friend. Like yeah. You're just going to disown me on every sphere of life. <laughs> Don't give them the cold shoulder. Yeah. Even if it's just because you're hurt or sad, you know, don't cut them off. Mm. It was very hurtful that we had friends who just stopped talking to us. Yep. And not even, it'd be one thing if they came to us and said, we're really discouraged or disappointed or we're hurt that you're leaving. They didn't even have that conversation. It was just cold shoulder. Don't do that don't use it as an opportunity to begin a campaign for who you want to replace don't mm-hmm. use a, the devil uses every departure good or bad mm-hmm. as an opportunity to sow division in a church if a church is looking for a new pastor the enemy sees that as mm-hmm. as such a an opportunity for him to begin sowing seeds of let's create camps and divisions yep. and that sort of thing um, be on guard against that but in terms of just handling the pain i mean you just hand it over to the lord you just yeah. say thank you lord for the time that i had with this, your servant, I'm trusting that this pain is going to be consoled in due time. I'm not trying to rush that process, but, you know, I'm asking you to help me steward it well and to grieve as one with hope and to acknowledge that the church is not any one pastor's church. The church is yeah, Christ's church. Absolutely. And yeah. he doesn't leave. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he never departs us. Yeah. So we can be grateful for that. We can be thankful
1: for yeah. that. Just also think about the pastor that also has left. You know, he's left a home that he's known for. You would assume a few years, yeah. an environment, as you said, that the friends he hope, hoped he had. He's starting a fresh, new position. That's stressful. You know, is it going to go as well? Leaving a lot behind. We, we had that experience. We we left our church, our last church, uh, on a high. Things were going really well. It was not quote the right time to leave, uh, yeah. as people would say, because it was actually going well, and and we've kind of been astonished at how how many people have just kind of dropped off and, and, and we haven't really heard from them. And, and hey, you know, I'm not blaming people for that, but don't assume that your pastor that's moving on is moving on to greater and better things. This is going yeah. to be probably tough for him to start something new um or change or, or do a different direction. Be his friend. Move from being a church member to being being his friend. Yeah. You know, being there for him. Pray for him.
0: Don't Don't forget about him. Yeah, encouraging. I mean, I can tell you, I mean, there's, even today, when I hear from former church members who are friendly and just reach out and Mm. say something about either my time with them, I still remember when, you know, such and such, or I really enjoyed you, you taught me this, or it's just a word of encouragement, or even just a laugh, something friendly, that just makes me feel like, oh, okay, actually, yeah, we're still good. And and they're, they're grateful for the ministry. And we still have a connection there. And you know, be encouraging to yeah. them and be a friend to them, as you said, I think is, is helpful. Mm, mm. Okay, uh, this comes from Kenton on Facebook. Kenton says, for seminary students or others called to ministry, when is it time to leave the secular workforce? We'll just call it a non-ministry job. And pursue opportunities in vocational Ministry. You said you have some clear thoughts on I this. I have some very clear so thoughts. So you're like champing at the bit so, here.
1: So I know Kenton. Okay. Um, oh, you do, okay. I, yeah,
0: I know Kenton. You've given uh, him some academic advice?
1: <laughs> no, he actually yeah. lives very close
0: to me. Um, okay. So
1: I know Kenton, and I've been asked this question from others. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try and imagine Kenton's in front of me uh, when I answer this. Okay. I'm, g- I'm going to give two caveats, and then I'm going to give my bold answer. So here's my first caveat. You might actually be called to secular workforce. Um, so the Lord actually might be saying that that's where he wants you. Mm. Um, so don't just assume I'm a Christian, I'm a guy, I should be a pastor. That's incorrect. You might be called to the second environment and that's gonna be your mission field. So that's yeah. caveat number one. Uh, caveat number two, um, he states in his question, others called to ministry. So I'm gonna assume that you know that you are called to vocational ministry. Okay. So I'm gonna assume you've had the internal calling and external calling. Okay. So, with those two caveat in place, here's my bold answer: Get out of your secular job and go and do it now. Okay, that's my answer too. Actually, that I'm just I'm just gonna say it boldly, and and I've got a, a bit of commentary, but I'm glad yeah. to hear that we're on the same page. And my commentary for this is: Secular work experience is good. Often elements are transferable, but it does not equate a real life experience in a church or a church organization, too often guys are really well trained with no idea how to do it in practice because they actually haven't done it in practice. So if you're called to do it, then do it. Don't wait for the right moment. Don't wait for the right title. Don't wait for the right money. Just go and do it. I've talked to so many guys on on the seminary campus here that uh, it it means a pay cut. It means a job title change. Right. It means going from the top to the bottom, and they're just kind of unwilling to do that. Or they say, you know, I, I, I serve in my own church. I, I'm just, just being blunt and bold here. It is not the same. Um, if you are called to vocational ministry, what are you waiting for? Yeah. I'm sorry, Kenton. <laughs> no, no, but no. like, get on so with doing it. So I had it. a
0: conversation uh, with a, a former resident of the Pastoral Training Center, uh, who shall remain nameless. Uh, This is very much along these lines. Mm. And essentially was he's was doing really he's doing really well at his job or Mm. was doing really well at his job. And it was becoming a career. Yeah. And he was basically asking about the timing sort of question. Yeah. And I said to him, it's not going to get easier. Nope. You're trying to answer this question next year is going to be harder. than It is. So I don't know what you're waiting for in terms of. Yeah an off-ramp yeah. because the further you go, the higher you'll rise at this company, the more money, the you more get money you're going to make, yep. and the more money you make, the lifestyle adjusts to mm-hmm. that, it acclimates to that, so you'll become customer. It's going to get hard. It's not going to become impossible. Yeah, It's just as possible. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it's more possible, perhaps, because maybe you're putting money away, and I, I mean, I, I don't have. know. But it's this question itself is not going to get easier. No. So you, at some point, you just have to do it. And I, and I want to acknowledge the benefits of working a non-ministry job mm. on multiple levels. Yep. One, like it can help you relate to church members well. Yep. Uh, if you've spent all your life in ministry roles, maybe it's harder to actually mm. relate to church members who have day-to-day work jobs that are not Christian environments and that sort of thing. I totally understand that, that sense of maybe a disconnect from what the average person's experience is like. But— Setting that aside for the yep. moment, like, what? Why not just do it? Yep. Yep. I it's mean, not going to get easier. But also, don't assume
1: that you're going to go from said position in secular work to having said position in, in a church. You are probably going to have you're going to, start to take a step. From, down. Yeah, you're going yeah. to have to do it. So I'm sitting here. You know, seminary campus. We have pulpit supply. We have campus jobs. We have so many churches in Kansas City that, that are looking for interns, youth pastors, student pastors. We have interim churches. We have churches that will take on young guys. I I went with pulpit supply to to one rural church, and they were like, "Hey, we'll take a young guy for two or three years. We we just would love that energy. We don't mind yeah. if it's a stepping stone we and just, a consistency. They yeah, want someone who's they, just there. they want someone you. there. And I'm just sitting there going. Oh, All these young guys just going, yeah, but I've got this title, and I've got this salary, and I'm not sure if it's the right time. It's like churches are screaming out for people to do the the job. Well, that's the other reason
0: why I would say do it now is because we're in a pastor deficit, believe it or not. I know there are some areas of the country where there are a lot of churches, and all those churches are multi-staffed, and you may feel like, gosh, the only opportunities for me are a youth pastor in these— well, yeah. no, you could probably be a senior pastor. You just have to leave mega church land. You're going to have to go to a church of 50. You'll, yes, exactly right. You'll have to go to a, le- a less churched area yeah. or a, a less dense, you know, church-dense yeah. area and take a senior pastor at, at a church that's smaller, that yep. doesn't have all the resources, et cetera. And we're actually seeing that there are a lot of empty mm-hmm. pulpits. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of churches looking for pastors. All the more reason for more yep. people to, if you're legitimately called— yep more people to enter into the pastorate.
1: Yeah. And and can I give um, kind of just two more slightly off the wall kind of thoughts? One, don't go where it's comfortable. Don't stay where it's comfortable. So you're going to say, I want to get into ministry. I'm here. This is my local church. Um, Do you have a position? No. Oh, I guess I'm not called to. You know, (laughs) come on. You might have to move house. You, You might have to move churches my first ministry position (laughs) was a far cry. I used to work in investment banks in in London. uh, And when I got called into ministry, I went to a church of 20 in the West Coast of Scotland, where it just pours with rain. Like it was a big (laughs) change. You're going to have to be uncomfortable for a season. And then the second thing I I would simply say on this is that if you're called to this, and this is the big thing, if you're called to this, you should already right now have a burning desire to get out of secular work. So if you don't have that, I want to just check your calling here Mm. because actually if you're called to this, you're thinking every day, I I just, I want to be there. I want to do that. Now God might be saying, Hey, time to jump, let's go. Um, But if you don't have that burning desire, then I'm going to just question the calling a little bit here. Yeah. And
0: especially if the burning desire is for, as you said, a particular slice of yes. what I aspire to is this kind of position and yeah. this kind of church. And this, Which could you know, be church planting. And again, yeah. there's a lot of
1: young guys going, yeah, I've got some ideas, let's church plant. I'm like, ah, what about all the churches that are desperate for guys to come? So, sure. yeah, I I have some very clear thoughts on this. And my clear thought, Kenton,
0: now, change job now. Yeah. You know, someone you brought up church planting. Someone asked a question about, Church planting, which, I, which did not make the cut. But I wonder if we could do a whole episode on that event um, at some point. Sort of like, how do you know, especially if you haven't done, you've, you've neither pastored nor planted. Yeah. How do you know what, you have an inclination one towards the other. Yeah. We, we can talk about that in a future episode. Okay, let's move on to uh, Russell. Russell on Twitter says, I went to a church recently and the speaker's message was all law. And I was surprised when I heard my pastor and some other elders commend the teaching of this uh, retreat. How do I address this without coming across as a complainer?" So I went to a church retreat. The speaker's message was all law, no grace. I saw him clarify to someone else who asked him a question on Twitter. Who Someone else replied to his submitted question and, and he clarified to say, all law, divorced from the gospel, divorced from grace. And then my pastor and other elders commended this teaching. I don't know what consists in the commendation, Yeah. It, maybe they were just being nice, Russell, yep, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're just trying to be kind, maybe they feel the exact same way you do, and depending on who they were speaking to, they just were like, "Yeah, that was good, or you know, unless you mean like they were full on endorsing it, like it's it's the way preaching ought to be. How do I address this without coming across as a complainer? I mean, this sounds like it could be a simple question, which is don't complain, yeah, maybe ask a question That's, what what did you find commendable or I have yeah. concern? It almost sounds like there's a tentative relationship here because if I had someone who didn't like that I commended a teaching, I would be totally fine if they came and said, hey, I had an issue with that. Could you explain why you liked it? I wouldn't feel offended by that or think, oh, you're just a complainer. That's exactly my thoughts on this.
1: I, You know, the previous question, I had strong thoughts. This one, I, I, I think, talk to the speaker, be honest with them. Hey, I heard a lot of law there, but not a lot of gospel. Can you explain why you decided to do that? Yeah. Talk to your pastors, elders. Hey, you're commending something. And I'm not sure if I could commend it. Could you? Could you explain why you're commending this? And then also just try and think about your pastors. Think about what they're going through. Maybe they felt that they've been lacking teaching on the law. Maybe they're going through some tough situations and they just needed to be hit with it. You know, for for me, this seems like maybe you're reacting to this and and in your reaction, you're maybe taking it a little bit further. Yeah, Yeah. I have so many questions. And one of them
0: is, is this a pattern? Yeah. Is this a one-off?
1: If it's a one-off, then... Then then maybe you just don't say anything. But also if it's a one-off <laughs> and, it, and it really is bothering your heart uh, and, you, you know, not trying to chastise or anything, like go and take the issue to the individual. Like, yeah. go, Just go and have a conversation with them. Now, if they come out of that and it's like, yeah, it's all law and that's all we're all about and that's, okay, that's a different issue. Yeah. But how do you know what the issue is
0: here because a conversation hasn't taken place? Yeah, I almost want to think that this question wouldn't be asked unless there was some kind of pattern yeah. of, I feel like my my elders or my pastors are, are all law or mm. they're le- leaning more towards sort of a implicit legalism because they don't mention the good news or it's more law than grace or something like that. And this was another example of that. Yeah. How do I address that? That's a different question without being a complainer. And again, I think you address it gently to ask questions. If you want to use this specific incidence as the latest sort of evidence to say Hey, I had some trouble with that speaker, and I wondered if we could talk about it. I wondered if you could explain what, you know, why you commended it or were blessed by it. Am I off basis here? You Just approach it humbly. And then if someone calls you a complainer, then it's 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 just not justified. Don't give them a reason. But I think bringing it up itself is not itself a complaint. Mm. But if this is just church elder—I don't know if anyone can hear this buzzing, (laughs) but the uh, group chat among the elders is blowing up, so I can't wait to see what this is all about. If it's just sort of— a one-off thing because yeah. you went to a retreat and yeah. the speaker was all law and no grace and your elders somehow complimented it. Maybe you just, okay. Yeah. You just disagreed and it, that's okay. You don't have to bring it up. It doesn't strike me as a,
1: from this question, we don't know all the issues. It yeah. doesn't strike me as a massive issue here. It yeah. strikes me as a conversation that's worthy to have.
0: Yeah. Or maybe, but maybe not like, why can't you just go, okay, if it's, maybe if they it's saw bur- something I didn't. Yeah, hey, so we all had heart. a conversation yesterday about a recent sermon <laughs> that heard. I, we, we met with the residents for lunch yesterday, and um, yeah. uh, we all had heard a sermon, and there were some, cl- some complaints. Yeah. I didn't really resonate with the complaints. I'm not saying the sermon was great. I wouldn't say that I particularly enjoyed the sermon myself, but I didn't really—the complaints were really kind of rising to a level of, like, <laughs> you know, of, of, of urgency or significance that I just didn't share. Yeah. And I thought— You're wrong. Well, maybe, you know, I guess you could say I'm wrong. I don't think that I am. <laughs> no, but I see your point. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? That yeah. I've just thought, eh, to some okay. It, to, just, some some just disagree. to some You enjoyed big, the sermon, or you yeah. didn't enjoy the sermon. I didn't, you know, I don't know I'm not saying I enjoyed it, but my level of non-enjoyment was not as significant as yours, yeah. and okay. So essentially, it just struck
1: us differently. the answer is either decide to have a conversation or decide to accept
0: it, one or the other. Yeah, um, okay.
1: I think that's... That's where we're yeah. at. The,
0: the way to come across as not, as a, as not complaining is to do it in a humble, without complaining, submissive yeah. way. Yeah, and then do it without complaining. Okay, Chris on Facebook. Um, oh man, this could be a whole episode actually. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we should save it for a whole episode. Chris, I, I want you to know. So your question on Facebook: do's and don'ts of senior leadership in the first year. The problem with that is such a specific question that it runs the risk of turning our podcast into a pastoral ministry podcast, which I'm trying to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) That's an episode really such a specific. So let's go ahead and just do maybe two or three each short. Okay. Uh, Do's and don'ts of senior leadership in the first year. So basically you're becoming the senior pastor of a church. What are some things you should do, some things you shouldn't do in year one? So very quickly, visit. Uh, You can never spend more time with your church
1: members. Uh, you can never spend enough time with your church members. Visit them all. Um, you know, I'm not saying uh, each day. Just visit them all. Be known for visitation. Get to know your church. Second, don't accuse. Easy to blame problems that you're facing on the previous pastor, the previous people. Don't accuse. Start afresh. Um, and, and kind of say to the church, "This is where we are. Where are we going?" Um, yeah. you know, maybe don't look back. Um, and and then just, I probably have a slightly different view on this. Uh, be bold and get rid of any obvious sin issues or sin ministries. Now, a lot of people will say don't change anything in the first year. I was going to say that. So, <laughs> yeah. So, well, you said sin. Sin. Okay. So I'm not I, saying I, don't okay. change anything. I'm yeah. saying if there is something that is overtly an issue. I got you. Okay. If you're unwilling to change that for a year, you're also saying you're willing to accept that. So for well, me, in some ways,
0: doing it early, yeah. Get out. So yes. if
1: there's any overt sin issues, deal with it straight away. Um, You know, I, I was in a, Church setting where a neighboring church, the deacon was having an affair and they just kind of allowed it. Deal with it straight away. Don't change everything, just deal with those things. So there's my three visit, don't accuse, change the sin issues. Yeah.
0: I mean, the cliched answer, which I think is right and is kind of top of my list, is don't make any significant changes in the first year. Now, again, barring that there's someone who is bringing sinful, you know, unhealth in the church, that sort of thing. But the general idea is you want to faithfully preach, just faithfully love the church. (laughs) Serve as a pastor. Don't make any big significant changes. Earn some credibility just through faithful, consistent yep. ministry because you're earning the right to yes. then begin make changes. Yep. Now, there is sort of a, a tightrope to walk. Maybe tightrope's not that word, but there is a tender balance to say you don't want to wait too long to make some changes because yep. the longer you wait, the more people acclimate to those things. You want to kind of get um, some significant things out of the way somewhat early but the other reason to wait is you don't really know the church year yeah. one. Yeah. And they don't know you, but you don't really know There's what's no the most, barring obvious sin issues. Yeah. You may decide early on, oh man, I got to cut this thing or yeah. you know, this program or this whatever. You don't really know. Give yeah. it a year to say, actually, that's not the most significant thing. I don't know why I was you know, so yeah. focused on that. I should have been looking at this thing that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah. There's just things you don't know that yeah. you'll discover through the first year. Um, and so just being a faithful preacher, a faithful shepherd, loving people, counseling, um, visiting them mm. to just kind of earn your earning yeah. credit to write a check on a, later.
1: And can I say, especially if the, previous ministry hadn't gone well or had finished badly. Yeah. You've got to build, you're, you're not at zero trust, you're at negative trust because yeah. they're almost assuming there's going to be an issue. Spend the time building that trust, earning the right to make the changes. So when you do make the change, people are going, hey, I know his heart. This is a good place he's trying to change, not just change for change's sake.
0: Yeah, I would be aware of patterns of unhealth that first year pastors or new pastors are somewhat susceptible to because they want to be liked, they want to be approved of, and so you kind of adjust to something. I'll I'll give you an example. So, gosh, the deacons run the church. Yeah, This is an unbiblical ordering of things, really. It's the the pastors who give leadership of the church, especially if it's congregational. The congregation runs the church, so to speak, but the elders lead. The deacons are, yes, an office of leadership Mm -hmm. in some respects, but they're the servants of the church. But you are in a church where you've got these guys are deacons, and they're not even qualified to be deacons. This is such a common thing. There's guys who are on the deacon board, yeah, and they basically run the church, and they're not even really qualified biblically to be deacons, but they're just the businessmen leadership of the church. You don't want to rock any boats. You want to be liked. You want them to approve of you, and yeah. so you begin to kind of adjust to that, submit to that pattern, et cetera, and then when time comes to change or you want to lead change it just becomes that much harder because you've already kind of acclimated yeah. to this dysfunctional thing. That doesn't mean that you're disrespectful to them or ugly to them or or anything. But the way that you handle yourself in those meetings, the way that you may show a sinful deference perhaps to some folks or become passive, that's really kind of a key here, a sinful passivity. You know, this is something that, that you know that I've run into is essentially I treated the existing leadership team as those who kind of gave me the stamp of approval. And I kind yeah. of would go to those meetings with kind of my hat in my hand, so to speak, yeah. like, please approve of my ministry. Yeah. And then once we established a healthier leadership and the dynamic changed with that mm. pre-existing, it, w- it really caused some tension because I was yeah. no longer going into those meetings. And I could only 70, 80 percent blame myself because for several years they had known me one way and suddenly yeah. I'm changing the game. Yeah, you know? and it's
1: also like um, not being the best version of you because you, you're still interviewing for the position you actually <laughs> already have. I mean, yeah. Just be you. Do you yeah. know? Like, and 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 they're going to be shocked because they don't actually know you yet. So as as you be you, there are going to be some things that they're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that about his personality, or I didn't like, I didn't know that he knew these things. Just let that out, so yeah. that when it does come to the big changes, people can see these things. Okay.
0: Here's Taylor on Facebook. What do you believe is that this may be a really short answer. What do you believe is the root cause of worship teams or worship pastors who are performing, even choosing songs that are performance-driven, rather than arranging the worship service where the congregation can be the primary instruments being heard? What's the root cause of worship leaders or worship teams who are performance-driven is really the question. Sin. (laughs) Well, yes. <laughs> I also just think in some – well, okay, sin, especially if they know about the alternatives. I come from a culture where some folks, this is all they know. Yeah. They're not even aware, like the very idea, or the, perhaps even the existence. Um, but even if they are, they don't know the rationality or the explanation behind a different kind of approach to worship. This is just maybe they were saved in a church that had performance-driven worship or they yeah. started attending a church – they were trained for that church. And I mean, I've I've got a, a close friend who mm. we did ministry together in a Seeker, mm. you know, attractional megachurch. He was saved, not in that one, but in a, you know, through a different attractional yeah. megachurch, is a creative guy. All he's known his whole life is attractional megachurch. In his mind, even to abuse his gifts faithfully. I mean, he's trying to think as a sincere believer, to use my gifts faith, you know, faithfully means I use them in a church. Yeah, And he approaches the entire thing completely differently than we would approach it. Yeah. But he's never known any different. So unintentional sin. Perhaps. Uh, uh, no, just I, a, a sin of ignorance. Uh, yeah, I guess I know I'm being a little bit blunt here, but... No, I mean, but I do have questions sometimes. I'm sort of like, you've been a believer 20-some years... Should there not be some maturity that leads you to maybe think like, there's something hollow to this? <laughs> I do have questions know, like that. Yeah, Google the you know the Getty's, <laughs> but uh, man, you know, Bob Kaufman. You I know. know we say that, man, but those names like we are such a tribal yeah, people, and we ha- there's such a subcultural experience. Yeah, I remember being at a Man in the Mirror conference in Florida once, and this is not Man in the Mirror is is a pretty significant men's ministry. You know, a national, if not global, men's ministry. Maybe you've never even heard of it. Nope. Never heard it. See, exactly. Nope. Um, but a best-selling book, Patrick Morley's Man in the Mirror. And in, in any event, I was speaking at this event and was talking with a fellow, and I figured because he's part of this deal, and they have big-name speakers come speaking yeah. this thing, and I mentioned the name Matt Chandler to him. Never heard of the guy. Yeah. And I was like, you never heard of Matt Chandler? And he was like, no. Is it, like, wh- Who is he? Where is he from? And it just was a reminder yeah. to me. I wasn't offended he didn't, yeah, yeah. hadn't heard of him. I just was like, oh, this is a yeah. reminder, like, the celebrities in our world aren't necessarily celebrities, nope. even in American evangelicalism. Yeah. And I said that to Matt once, something about, you know, you probably can't go anywhere in Dallas without being recognized. And he said, I'm not T.D. Jakes, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say there are scales, there are scales to yeah. this. Uh, so, I mean, that that's a rabbit trail. But I want to allow for the opportunity that some of these folks, they've never seen or aren't even aware of alternatives. So, so for kind of fleshing it I just a few things here
1: it's a mini kingdom mentality so it's not considering how their ministry serves others in that you're like oh i serve others by doing this no no no. put yourself in the position of others and and also don't just see it as this is what i give it's a how do i fit with the sermon how do i fit with the youth ministry how do i fit with the congregational singing and therefore it's not a mini kingdom it's not your kingdom it's it's the whole kingdom I think there's too much focus on modernization. We've got to be modern to to be successful. We're actually teach through the old hymns, like literally teach them, teach the promises. And, and you say hymns? Oh, dreary! Our, our church at, at Liberty Baptist, I would say the vast majority of songs that we sing are hymns, and they're wonderful. Yeah. And, and people sing loudly, and they know the tunes, yes. and and you can really tell that our church
0: is worshiping together. I've been in several churches recently just in my travels where the congregation has been much larger Mm. than the congregation at at Liberty. Big churches can't hear anyone from the congregation. All you hear is who's on stage. And it just stands out to me because of the regular rhythm and experience of Liberty where we can hear the band. It's not as if we're overpowering them, so to speak. You can hear the musicians. You can hear the, the lead vocalists you can hear that but the loudest the most significant sound is the congregation it yeah. just you can hear everybody yeah. singing and just yeah. okay so what's the root cause i want to come back cuz <laughs> i want to move on to the next question pretty quickly actually the root cause sin yes maybe sin of ignorance maybe sin of oh i know the alternatives this is just cooler yeah so there's a consumerism that's there the performance driven thing essentially just comes from a misconception mm. Of what worship is, and yeah. whether that's a willful thing or an ignorant thing, they just need to be trained and in some ways acknowledged what the point of the worship service is, which mm-hmm. is not a performance, which is not a concert. Sadly, that's what, you know, what it is for so many in, in, in Western evangelicalism, a kind of experience, yeah. the attractional influence of we need to rival what they hear on the radio or rival the concert that they may go to. And it's just a lack of acknowledgement, whether willful or unwillful, of what the point of worship is, mm. which is not for us to experience a show, but to, for us to be led in exaltation of God. So maybe the root cause is we don't know who the real audience is. Yeah. The real audience is God, not the people in the, yeah. in, even in the pews. That's good. But Okay. Let's move on to our uh, final question here. Uh, this is Ed <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, I felt personally attacked by this question that he (laughs) clarified. How does a non-senior pastor minister, in other words, it's not the senior pastor, but it's a minister in the church, perhaps another elder, best balance a traveling itinerant (laughs) preaching ministry with his local church covenant membership? And when Ed posted this, I thought, it's not like Ed to be so passive-aggressive to post (laughs) on my Facebook (laughs) a question that certainly applies to me I'm not the senior pastor, I am a pastor. I'm a lay pastor even, I'm not on staff, a lay pastor at the church. And I have a very busy itinerant traveling ministry that takes me away from the church. I was trying to sort through this actually before I was even a pastor. Before, you know, I've only recently yeah. been installed as a lay pastor, but just a church member. And it was something I was just constantly mindful of, of like, am I being a faithful church member yeah. that I'm traveling so much? Um, and I think that is the case regardless of what you're traveling for. You might have a job for business that takes you away on multiple Sundays. Is that the best? Like, how do you know that's okay to do and not okay to do? uh, But Ed clarified he was essentially asking for himself because he has a traveling ministry as well, and he just wants some advice. So, Ross, what would you say to Ed (laughs) for Ed's problem? (laughs) He wants to know, like— give me some
1: advice how how do I know I, th- I think outside of the actively seeking to be a covenant member I think there's just a few very simple things when when you go other places to preach bring bring greetings of your home church okay. you know say out loud you know uh, my home church is you know Liberty mm-hmm. Baptist Church if it's us yeah. you know um up in the north of Kansas City I'll bring greetings from your brothers and sisters there Um, so it just brings an attachment together okay. you're you're remembering them uh, tell your fellow ministers fellow leaders where you're going to be so they can be praying for you, maybe even potentially praying for you in the service in your home church, but just yeah. bringing that connection. And then third, when you are back home and you are with your your covenant members, you're going to have to almost work extra hard to find that energy to 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 go to things, to be engaged in things. You you have to almost compensate for being away. Uh, and I'm not meaning in a legalistic way. Just just remember that you need to build your body up, and they need to build you up. M- yeah, my experience in this is fairly limited. Pulpit supplies a little bit different. I go away maybe yeah. once or twice a month max, but yeah. I'm always kind of back every month. I think when you're away regularly for long periods of time, that, that's where it gets a bit tougher.
0: Yeah. You know, in some respects, this is actually harder to than when you are a senior pastor. When I was a senior pastor, the lines were much clearer. Mm-hmm. I didn't have as as many invitations as I did in those days as I do now, but I still got a fair number. and. There were a couple of things I wanted to do. Number one, I wanted to be as present with my church as possible. I, I limited, I actually created, this wasn't imposed on me. I suggested it myself. I limited my Sundays away for speaking engagements to four a year.
1: Hmm.
0: And part of that was just driven by the reality. I actually didn't have a very deep bench of guys to preach in my yeah. stead. If I did, I might have increased that maybe a little bit. And that doesn't include vacation, but four Sundays a year. But I was also preaching maybe you know, 40 or more Sundays a year anyway. But I I just created a limit for myself to say, I'm going to protect Sundays because I'm the senior pastor. I'm the main preacher. I want to be here with my church. Exactly. I also was trying to be very transparent coming in with my church. I didn't want them to have a growing concern about it. So actually I was interviewing at the same time. um, I was interviewing with my last church at the same time my first book came out. I didn't know what was going to happen or where things were going to go. But in the interview process, I just said to them, like I have a book coming out. I, I have one speaking engagement booked. I'd like to pursue that, mm. those opportunities. I don't know that more will come, and maybe this is all it is. I'll have one book and one speaking engagement, and that's it. But as more opportunities come, I'd like to be able to pursue those. I wanted them to know that going in, so it wouldn't become – I mean, it could become an issue if it just let it get out of control. But I didn't want them to be surprised, like, oh, you want to travel? Oh, you're going to write? Or you. Mm. And they were very receptive. They were actually very generous with me. And I, I remember even actually you know sharing a concern that traveling some – and. You know sharing that with an older lady in the church and she just said, oh, "This is our ministry you're an extension of our ministry to, to other churches actually so she saw it as, a, as an act of generosity. Yeah. Now not every church will see it that way, but she saw it as their church was in a sense sending me yeah. or, or being generous with me. I've tended to think about it that way Now the lines are a little more mm-hmm. blurry because w- what is my role? number one as a lay pastor it's not my full-time job but number two, I do have commitments to make. So I tried to replicate some of that. When I was asked, you know, do I want to be considered to be a pastor uh, at the church? I wanted to be transparent on the front end. Hey, I believe God has called me to this ministry that I've been conducting. I'm certainly willing to make, to draw boundaries around some of those things. I want to prioritize elders meetings. I still want to direct the pastoral training center. I want to prioritize that time. I want to be available to people, but I do believe God has given me this open door for this ministry that I've been doing, and I want to continue doing that. I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, I sold you a bill of goods mm-hmm. about my presence or availability and that sort of thing. And as far as I know, I mean, everyone who said anything to me, <laughs> um, including the existing elders, were like, we know that. That's great. Yeah. It was also helpful to know that there's eight of us. We're looking for a senior pastor. And that person's hired. There'll be potentially nine of us, mm-hmm. including at least two staff pastors. That's helpful to know that there's yeah. not three of us, and I'm leaving two guys holding the bag when I walk out the door.
1: And you do tend to communicate that you're away as yeah. well. I even know as a church member, yeah. when you're generally away. I oh, got you. And we pray for you, um, you know, in our, our equipping group in our Sunday school. So, again, it's that even though we know you're away, you're an extension to the church because yeah. you're, you're members with us. So, in some senses, we want you to do that ministry. It just happens to be on a Sunday. Right, um, yeah.
0: Um, I think I'd just say, not, not just to Ed, but to anyone though, if your conscience is troubled, mm. don't think of all the reasons why it shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> if your conscience is troubled by it, if folks in your church are beginning to raise, especially pastors, I don't mean just mm. you know, there's there's folks that make jokes. If I was gone two Sundays in a row and I come back to someone and be like, hey, we got a new member <laughs> bag for you, you know, or, or visitor bag for you, that sort yeah. of thing, uh, you can take the jokes. But if it becomes regular enough. It's becoming a thing. Do you need to address it with yeah. folks? Are people legitimately concerned? Are you leaving your allotted ministry share undone? People yeah. are constantly having to pick up the slack for you, do things that you would have done because you're gone so much. Mm. Or just in general, you're worried uh, about it. It keeps coming up as an nagging concern in your own head. Uh, maybe I need to curtail. That may be a sign that the Holy mm. Spirit's prompting you to kind of put some more limitations Yeah on on those things but um, it's certainly a matter of discernment I think I don't know that there's a clear like Yeah, uh, everybody's different every church is different the scale of ministry is different so that's sort of how I've thought through it mm-hmm. appreciate your thoughts as well hey as yeah. listener we appreciate your questions especially these great sort of man I don't want to call them gray areas it's not really gray areas but yeah. there's some questions people ask and our answer is like 10 seconds long <laughs> and there's others where we have a conversation I love those Yeah, I love the in-depth ones so uh, we hope that uh, you'll stay tuned for our next mailbag invitation and give us some, some great questions. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.